Hey guys, how's it going? So uh, before we get started, if you want to skip ahead straight to the guest, feel free. It's going to be about a minute or two of me talking. Uh, but I will start with a little kind of squeamish warning if you are particularly squeamish. Uh, maybe some parts of this podcast will, uh, just to warn you, might might get you going. Uh, it, it's just the nature of his job, really. He's a firefighter, so he's seen some stuff. Um, and he, he does mention a few things in the podcast, just to warn you. Uh, so before we get started, then, thank you to the NHS. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much um, for what you have been doing over the past, like, over a year now. Um, and what you are currently still doing and what you will be doing later on. I mean, I, you guys are fantastic. And I, I cannot find the words to express how grateful I am to have everyone working as hard as they are to kind of protect the people of this country. So thank you so much. Um, this podcast is a bit of a family affair. I've had Effie on previously, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys have already heard that episode. She's a, she was a death row lawyer. Uh, or she worked on, on death row as a lawyer in America. And that's just an absolutely incredible story. Um, and it's hilarious to me that they're married. Uh, so Mike, who you're going to hear from now, is is obviously married to Effie. And it's just, it's crazy because they're just two of some of the most inspirational people I've ever met. And they've got two of the craziest kind of life stories that you're going to hear all about. You already heard with Effie and you're going to hear with Mike. It's just a crazy situation. So uh, I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. And I'm sorry I've been slacking with it. Me and Matt are going to get our stuff together. Matt, my sound guy, uh, he's Mofa Crook on Spotify. If anyone wants to check him out, he's got loads of new music um, coming out soon. He's an absolute baller, absolute legend. Love the guy. Uh, so please do me a favour and check him out on Spotify. Um, otherwise, let's just get straight into the episode. I really hope you guys enjoy this because I've I had a great time recording it. So um, yeah, look forward to the new episodes as well. They're going to be coming very soon and they are amazing as well. So yeah, I'm really excited to kind of get back into the podcast side of things. Um, and yeah, okay, speak soon. Let's just get into it. So do you want to kind of give a little intro to yourself for the people listening? Uh, yeah, my name is Mike Sumley the Sims. Uh, well, it's hard because that's odd that. I've never actually I've introduced myself to people that I don't, <laughs> I can't see and gauge the reaction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, so um, uh, husband, father of two, uh, firefighter. Nice. Trainer of firefighters now. Extra nice. Uh, and... One of those horrible people that has a go at most things and does semi all right at most of them, <laughs> to be fair. Those really annoying people. Yeah, that's me, <laughs> I'd say. Lovely, lovely. Um, okay, cool. I mean, you've got, a, you've got a lot of stories I want to delve into. And I guess a bit of background um, is we met on a trip to Greece. Um, and I'm assuming, um, assuming that I'll have released Effie's episode before yours. Yeah. So people have kind of got an idea. If you haven't listened to um, listened to Effie's episode yet, um, then it'd be nice to get some background for you, because um, I'd go into how we know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so let's get started then. You are um, a person yes. who, who trains firefighters. Yes. Um, how long have you been in the firefighting business? Uh, so I joined when I just turned 19, so now I've been doing it for, come January, 19 years. Nice, that's so cool. Which is bananas to think of it, because <laughs> I was just a baby when I got in, and I don't feel like I should be old enough now. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a really cool profession, um, and it's something I've wanted to do for a while. Um, and you obviously have some fantastic stories 
uh, from your days of being an actual firefighter rather than someone that just trains firefighters. Yes. Um, so let's just let's just jump straight into that. <laughs> uh, what are what are some of your funniest stories from being a firefighter? Because you know there's that preconception of like you go into trees and and rescue cats. rescue cats. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the one thing I have to I have to say now is the one thing that that we spoke about previously to this was, have you ever seen the skeleton of a cat in a tree? The skeleton no. of a cat. You, you've never seen that. And that's not because firefighters go up and rescue them. It's because they come down. <laughs> the cats, do you know what I mean? They land on their feet. They don't need us. Most of the time when a fire... So I have done this. So um, I was told when I joined, we don't do that, we don't do that. And then we got a call from the RSPCA saying, look, we know you don't do this, but we've got a cat stuck on our roof. So at that point, my boss was like, we'll, we'll do this one because it's on a roof, blah, blah, blah. So I turned up, I'm like... I was still the proby, which is a probationer, so I'm really green. I don't know what I'm doing so much, oh, but I'm full of uh, piss and vinegar. I want to do everything. I'm there. <laughs> um, so they put, the, they put the ladder up, and he goes, right, um, when you go up, you'll need some gloves. I thought, well, all right. So I put on my, li- my little leather gloves, and this RSPCA um, representative, this last year, no, no, and she gave me staple palm gloves. Now, I don't know if you know what they are. They're literally leather gloves that have staples in them to protect you. You know, like from anything trying to like cut your hands. Oh, okay. So in my mind, I went from going up to rescue like Mr. Tabby to a Bengal tiger. Now I got up there <laughs> and this thing was tiny and I was like, I don't need these gloves. Somebody's taking the piss. <laughs> and this was the most feral cat I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god. I nearly fell off the ladder. I tried to get it in the cat the cat box thing. I dropped it. <laughs> Obviously, this was all up on the roof where nobody could see. This cat was having me. Um, and I got down. I was like, there you go. Take this thing away. Got back in the fire engine. I was like, I am never getting a cat again. They're horrible. <laughs> but <laughs> it, was, it was like something off a horror film. But yeah, yeah. No, cat, Cats in Trees is one that um, we don't normally do. Um, I've got children out of trees. Nice. Yep. Okay. Uh, I once got a uh, peregrine falcon off an aerial. That's so cool. Yeah, so it had escaped from... Um, there was some show going on uh, pretty near to this uh, property. And what it had done, it had flown off from its handler. Now, when the... I don't know much about um, ornithology, the study of birds, um, <laughs> <laughs> except for the name. Um, but when, when they hold the, the, the falcons on, they have this, like, leather uh, whip that they hold onto that they wrap around the hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it, it had flown off with that, and that had got attached around uh, oh, the see. aerial on yeah, the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I mean, with a cat, you can kind of fear, puss, 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 to try and get it to come near you and that. <laughs> that doesn't work on birds. Especially not a bird of prey that can travel like 200 miles an hour or something ridiculous. Yeah, they, those things are terrified. So again, one of them where I kind of got it down and handed it over to somebody. And then afterwards, I was like, yeah, that was great. At the time, I was cacking myself. <laughs> That's fair enough. I don't blame you, to be honest. That's a pretty scary experience, to be honest. Uh, so animal-wise, yep, I've done done quite. I've rescued a few animals. Um, there is the preconception with uh, again firefighters and firefighting of the um, the vol- and um, the wife sat back here now, so I'll try and word this the right way. The voluptuous young woman with a to- with ju- a toe just caught in the uh, in the faucet of the bath. <laughs> that, yes, yeah. I had that, but she was not young and she was not voluptuous. It was <laughs> it was quite an old day. <laughs> That got herself stuck in the bath. Right. Now, it's quite bad because, like, she'd been there for a couple of days and the plug had gone out. days? Yeah, so... Oh, um, no. But, so, like, a neighbour had rang up and said, look, we can't get hold of Mildred. She's... We know she's in because she's not been out, but we can't get hold of her. 
So like I went up a ladder and the, like I don't know what it's like down in your area, but a lot of the terrace round here in in the northwest, the uh, the, the bathroom windows are really small at the top, little ones like yeah, uh, yeah. post box windows. Yeah. So I was the only one at the time that could fit through this because I was like the smallest one there because the rest of the firefighters were fat. Um, so <laughs> so I had to go up and post myself through. And then when I looked in the bath, it was like looking at Mumra from. Uh, <laughs> From the Thundercats, this little this little prune of a lady, and she was so sweet. She was like, "Oh, are you all right?" I was like, "Am I all right? Are you all right? Are you all right?" Yeah. So I went and got her address to go. She went, "Oh, aren't you nice?" I was like, "Yeah, I also don't want to be sick." Um, <laughs> so again, we let her in. Now I'm starting to quite callous when I'm saying this, but it's uh, there's something in the fire service where we it's called the uh, the black humour, uh, and it's a kind of it's something that I never realised, but it's a coping mechanism that people have. Uh, for dealing with quite traumatic uh, scenes. Yeah. So although that wasn't traumatic for me, obviously you've got to think of the person that you're rescuing, you've got to try and make them feel better and get them covered up and like that. But like I've been to some jobs that have been really horrific. So yeah. afterwards, it's like, um, let me just, I've got a cup of coffee here that I'm going to pass over to be put on the floor because I can't do anything with it. Um, so like there was one where um, I went in and there was, um, uh, there was this girl and she'd, uh, it was a house fire. Uh, and do you know when in, I'm jumping all over it now so when I start doing this just tell me to stop um, in fires so obviously when you see fires on TV like house fires kind of there's fire everywhere and you can see everything you can just about see the door it's yeah. nothing like that in a real fire okay nothing at all because when there's smoke in a house fire you can't see anything you can't literally can't see your hand in front of your face yeah yeah so anyway, so this, uh, this house had set on fire, this girl had torched it, um, and she died on the end of her, sat up on the end of her bed. Now, because of the heat from the fire, she'd, uh, like, she'd melted, her skin had melted, and she was oh kind of like God. a waxwork. Jesus. So, like, you see all these horrible things, and then you get back on the, on the, like, the fire engine, and one of the lads is just out of nowhere, just turning around, going, oh, she was mingy, wasn't she? And it's like, <laughs> she just kind of cuts that tension of, yeah. oh, it's a real bad thing to just kind of, you have a bit of a laugh about it, which is like really callous, but nobody hears it. It's just between yourselves. And it's just that way of taking that tension back out of, of yeah. that. Because obviously if you, if you keep that stuff inside and locked up, that's when you get problems. Of course, so of course. It's a kind of way of dealing with like the mental health side of it before we even knew about that, dealing with that side of it. Because obviously that's more prevalent now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so what else did I tell you about on all this? Oh yeah, there was the old the old man, the yeah. OAP. He was eighty five. Who uh, me? So at this time, went to a fire. Uh, we got in there. We're looking for this. It was an old older uh, older gentleman. He was probably about eighty five. Uh, he was about four foot tall. We got in. Me and this lad. Me and this lad Ben. And Ben used to be a, a diver. So he's he's like he's he's built. He goes in the gym. He's like one of the guys that goes and just lifts the world. Yeah. Um, so he's a big lad. Yeah. So and I consider myself to be reasonably all right in all right shape. So we go in. Um, we find this this little man, like he's like he's almost like a gnome size. We've we've got him. We're going to rescue. Him, we're going to save the day. <laughs> and and we took him from the front room to the top of the stairs. And then all of a sudden, his hands shot out and he got hold of both banisters, and he wouldn't <laughs> let go. So Ben's got his foot on the stairs, pulling him back. By the way, I'm trying to peel his hands off, and every time I peeled one off, he ch- put the other one on. And we couldn't get him off this little seven stone, eighty five year old man. <laughs> to the point where then he let go, and Ben had to dance him down the stairs because he fell down the stairs with him. Oh um, God. But we rescued him; he was safe. He, he kind of he came to the station afterwards and said thank you and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Did, I did he explain? Like a right did ass. he explain why he he just kind of 
dragged him, like, just held on for dear life. No, so with things like that, what it is, is a lot of it's uh, human instincts, because obviously the, the smoke had got to him, so it kind of started to shut down. Yeah. But then when they get some, the body gets some stimulus, if he then thinks because he's being dragged, thinks that he's falling, you, yeah, yeah. you, you naturally kind of grab all the you stuff. grab, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what, his, that's what his body was doing, even though, like, kind of he wasn't awake. His hands were like... Oh, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not falling or getting taken away. Yeah. Um, yeah. He outdid us. <laughs> oh wow. I mean, yeah. I, I totally get what you mean. I was in. A, I had an operation on my knee, and um, whilst I um, was after the obviously anaesthetic wears off, because mm-hmm. um, I was under general, and it was like I woke up and then I saw another person being woken up, and he got like quite like violent, like thrashing oh, his yeah, arms yeah. around. Um, and I've never, I never asked my my nurses who, like, who were like looking after me for the twenty minutes I was in there. Um, I think it's more like three hours that you have to wait, but still, right. I never, I never asked them. I was scared to ask at the time. I was like, I really hope I didn't try and, <laughs> yeah. try and kill you. What um, did I do? Yeah, yeah. What did I do? Did I just wake up normally? Please yeah. say I just woke up normally because this guy was like proper like thrashing about and they were like struggling to to get a hold of him. I nearly like, got up with him. I was like, whoa. Um, it's pretty pretty crazy, but it's mad what the human body can do in in situations where it doesn't really know what's going on. Oh yeah, that's yeah, I mean, that's mad. The human body's kind of it's one of it's one of them really strange things that it's we don't use it for as much as we could do. Yeah. Though potential wise, the things it can do is amazing compared to what we actually use it for. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Generally sitting around. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially now. Um, and of course, I realised I didn't at the start um, didn't quite start my intro how I um, normally do by thanking the um, NHS and, and emergency services and all the people that are keeping the country going. Um, so thank you. I do genuinely appreciate what you're doing. Um, you are literally saving lives, and that's the best thing this country needs right now. So thank you so much. Um, anyway, back to the scheduled um, thing. Schedule. Scheduled. Scheduled broadcast. Scheduled broadcast. Yeah, nice. Um, so firefighting as a profession, yes. what was that? Um, what was the kind of catalyst for you just to get into that? Um, so for me, I'd, it was something that I'd always wanted to do from like when I was a boy. Yeah. Um, and my uh, mentality around that growing up was that I, I'd lived. This is like when I joined at like just turned nineteen. Uh, okay. That I'd I'd lived like this far in life. Uh, and I want to kind of make sure that the other people... It's always like kids. Do you know what I mean? I want to allow a child, if I could save it, to 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 kind of experience that life for themselves. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think it's almost like that kind of hero complex. I wanted to, to save people, which sounds really contrite, but ultimately that's what it was, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, yeah. That's, that was the driving force. Um, luckily for me... Um, my girlfriend at the time, which is now my wife, um, but the girlfriend at the time <laughs> stopped me joining the army, um, which allowed me to apply for the fire service. Because when I was in school, I got told that you had to be 21 to join the fire service. All oh, right. So because I didn't have anything to do, I wasn't going to uni because for, I, I didn't want to study anything. I wanted to be a firefighter. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah, so to go yeah. to uni and spend all that money, to me, was pointless. Yeah. So I thought, well, four years, I'll join the army. Uh, and then, obviously, Effie came and said, look, it's not 21. I'm sure it's 18. <laughs> Let's go find out first before you sign up and enlist, because at the time, that's when kind of Afghanistan was everything was kicking off. So oh, that wow. was a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a good save, I'd say. <laughs> well played, well played. Yeah, the girl done well. 
She regrets it now because she can't get rid of me. But um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, that's a that's a good origin story, I suppose. Um, so, what is kind of some of the? Um, oh, this is a good question. I, I love this question. What are some of the things people? Yeah. Because obviously, there's a lot of preconceptions that go with firefighting. Oh yeah. Like cats in trees. Um, what What are some of the things about the job that people don't talk about? Uh, general public or firefighters? Um, general <laughs> that, public, because obviously the yeah. I don't know anything about firefighting other than like my my preconceived ideas of what you do, which is like run into burning buildings and save people. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it's more. There's more than that. Um, so, what are some things that the general public are probably like? Oh, I never knew a firefighter had to do that, or um, I never knew you guys were just bored sitting in a fire station for seven hours because nothing happened, sort of thing. Yeah. So with that, there was. Oh, and again, historically. Maybe this was how it used to be. Um, so when I joined the fire service, especially up till now, there's a lot more kind of prevention work that goes on than actual yeah. dealing with fires. Yeah. Um, because, like, you, you turn up on shift and then you check the uh, the fire engine and you check your breathing apparatus sets. Uh, and then from then to the end of shift, you're constantly busy. There is no sitting around downtime like you would imagine the to be, because you think, well, you just sit there, you wait, you have a cup of tea, you wait for the, the bells to go, and then you turn yeah. out and you come back and that's it. Yeah. Um, and it isn't. <laughs> so in that, <laughs> in, that, in that day, we've got, um, you're constantly having to um, do lectures and learning, and that being on uh, everything from fire science to the procedures for wearing, breathing apparatus, uh, incident command, which is the part of the training world that I'm in now, but that is uh, that goes across the entire fire service from firefighters all the way up to chief. Incident command is kind of how we run incidents. Yeah. Um, you've also then got you've got to do physical training to make sure you're fit enough to be able to do the job because obviously if you are unfit or injured, you can't rescue anybody. Yeah. But yeah. also you can't rescue yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of one of them things that you're constantly doing. Then we go to school. Well, obviously, when it's not the uh, like the pandemic as it is now, we go to schools to talk to little kids to give them fire safety advice. We go to um, aged persons homes and uh, hostels, things like that, to talk to the residents there about fire safety. You've got uh, things like Operation Treacle, which happens around bonfire night. You've got Safe for Summer, Safe for Autumn, which is all about kind of the dangers when it gets to certain times of the year. Yeah. So obviously autumn now, it's, it's getting darker, so we've got to kind of make sure that kids have lights on the bikes, make sure people are wearing high-vis when they're walking out because so, there's more RTCs, uh, road traffic collisions. Um, also, just for yourself now, so um, it used to be called an RTA, which was a road traffic accident. Mm. That then got changed to a road traffic collision because it's always somebody's fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all... yeah, that's a line in Hot Fuzz. In you know, have you ever watched Hot Fuzz? Oh yeah, I love Hot Fuzz. Yeah, I, Hot Fuzz is my favourite movie <laughs> of all time. And um, and it, when he's like, oh, there, there was an accident. He's like, no, actually, Danny, we have to call it a collision because accident implies no one's to blame, no one's yeah, at fault or whatever, you know. And that's literally that. <laughs> I, that happened when I was in the job. I was like, you what? No, it's an accident. <laughs> like, no, it's not. I was like, oh, all right, I'll unlearn this then. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, there's there's lots of stuff um, that we have to do, and obviously, like the training side of it is massive, um, because. You have to practice in order for it to become second nature. So yeah. when we talk, like when we're wearing a breathing apparatus, we're going to a building. Like I said, it's if you imagine now, so you know your house, yeah, yeah, you, yeah where yeah. you live right now. You you pretty much you know where everything is, don't you? Yeah, yeah. 
Right, if I got you and stood you at the end of your drive, got you to close your eyes, do you think you'd be able to get in without, like, hurting yourself? Like, be able to get back up to your room now, get dressed like you are now, to be look exactly like you are now, with your eyes closed? Do you reckon yeah. you could find your keys to get through? You don't want to get get out. Is there's a, when you go into a house fire? Yeah. Yeah. Even if you know the property, you've got all these other things that kind of your senses get taken away from you when you're wearing breathing apparatus. You can't see. You can't hear because you have to wear a fire hood that stops sound. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. fire will um, fire deadens sound anyway because all you can hear is the fire. Yeah. Like I said, you can't see. You can't feel because you've got all this protective equipment on to stop you burning. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, here's one that people don't know. Fire um, uniform that we wear to go in fires is not fireproof. <laughs> um, okay. It's not at fact, all. <laughs> fact of the day, I suppose. Fact of the day. Pretty, fire, pretty... Fighting uniform is not fireproof. That's a pretty mind-blowing fact. Um, we also wear leather gloves. We don't have fireproof gloves, we wear leather gloves. Okay. But that's more, because it's... more stuff I didn't know. That's because it's cheaper than buying fireproof gloves. Wow, safety is paramount, I see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's not just across my service, that's just a general rule that, um, obviously, leather gloves are better because they are they do give some protection, uh, yeah. but obviously the, the ones that are the fire the fireproof um, gloves that they have, they're that thick, you can't do anything with them. Yeah, yeah. As in you can't... Um, uh, manipulate things. So if you're going into a house and you've got to turn off the, make sure the gas cooker's off yeah. whilst trying to deal with the fire and stuff, you can't do that with the big gloves. Yeah. So you could end up making it worse because you've got that kind of disconnect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot what we're talking about now because I just waffle. <laughs> this will happen. This will be your most <laughs> waffliest podcast ever. No, no, you're good. It's good. Um, I can I can take you back on track. Um, and I guess it, you were talking about how, you know, imagine closing your eyes and getting from your yeah. driveway all the way to, to there. And my first thought was how horrifying it is in terms of the speed because i was like i could do that mm -hmm. but it would take me ages and obviously mm -hmm. with a fire you do not have ages you have a no. very small window to get in and out for it tears the place down sort of thing yeah uh, and especially with the way that modern buildings and modern furniture is now made um yeah. i mean you've probably seen the video and there's a video there's loads of videos on youtube about showing like how quick fires start and it's always with a discarded cigarette in a bin and all this kind of stuff yeah um but for a, a room to be fully enveloped in fire can take under eight minutes. Wow. And that's not just like a little fire, that's like the room on fire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, like I said, so when we turn up, obviously the fire's already started. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we yeah. get there then and it's like something, like a scene from hell, if you believe in hell, but like you get there and you're trying to, you have to go into this thing that your body tells you, I don't want to go in there. Yeah. And that's where, the, that's where the training comes in. Yeah. There's some saying, I can't remember what it is about firefighters, as everybody's running out, we're the only ones running in. Yeah. But the only reason we, we do that is because of the training we do to kind of allow us to understand that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are not We're not all mental. Some <laughs> It helps, but, I mean... And it's just that, like I said, the, the more training you do with stuff like that, the the less scary it becomes. Like, yeah. going into fires, um, to a point, just became routine. It wasn't like something... That, obviously, you've got to keep your eyes open and you've got to think about stuff. So, for instance, again, if you have a fire in a garage, yeah, so like a, a like a, uh, any kind of commercial garage... Yeah, yeah. You've got to think about, like, do they have acetylene cylinders in there for welding? Do they have, like, cylinders, other cylinders in there for, like, maybe heaters? Are the yeah. pits in the floors? Yeah. 
all these other things that are in there. So it's not just a fire, it's the actual building becomes kind of something that you have to fight against and protect yourself from. Yeah. So that's why we do a lot of training all the time. Uh, also, yeah. firefighters now, we don't just deal with fires. You've got, like I said, RTCs, road traffic collisions. We've got rescues from heights, animal rescues. Uh, we have a blank mind. <laughs> or the stuff. Of the stuff. No, but it's, it's like we, 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 the old adage of just firefighters deal with fire. We're not. Yeah. So again, now we're not a fire service. Man, we don't. We are not Manchester Fire Service anymore. We're Greater Manchester Fire and Rescue because. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We do more now than than just fire. So that got kind of changed. I see. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I kind of want to delve more into training. Um, yeah. Because because that's a really interesting part of it. I think. Because like you say, it, it's definitely 100% human nature to look at a fire in a like a burning building, not like a fire. Mm -hmm. If you see a fire in like a, a kind of wood burner or, or like a campfire... They're mesmerising. Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> but you also know you shouldn't put your hand in it. Mm -hmm. right? Is oh, you'll only innate, do it once. Yeah, there's that innate human thing that's like, this is a stupid idea. Um, <laughs> and even if you carry on, then you will, like you say, never do it again. Um, but like you say, it's the that feeling of I just don't want to go run into this building because mm. my body is telling me that's just going to kill me. Um, so how... Well, that's not the right question. What, what no, kind ask of, it. Go on, ask, ask that question. Well, how, how, is, how does the training work? How does it um, prepare you for these kind of situations? So what I will say is it's, uh, it desensitises you to that fear. Yeah. Through... When you when you start doing the training for wearing breathing apparatus, obviously the first one is just put, being able to wear the actual equipment. Um, for anybody who's done kind of any kind of scuba diving, it's not too dissimilar to that kind of um, equipment. However, the first time somebody puts one on, they can feel claustrophobic. Yeah. So yeah. first off, you have to get past that fear of just having something on your face that you know that if you don't get out in time, you won't be able to breathe. Yeah. So there's a bit of a mental battle there. You get through that and you go, right, okay, so I, I'm now comfortable wearing it. And they're not light, no, so and it also it offsets your centre of gravity because you've got a big um, three hundred litre cylinder on your back. Um, so once you kind of you've got that sorted, you then got to go into we we train with a synthetic smoke at first, just to give you that uh, desensitisation to whatever's around you. So we yeah. have to learn how to almost to walk again because there's a safe like a safe walk you have to do where you're kind of brushing around up in front of you so you don't walk into anything and scooting yeah. your feet around so you don't step into anything. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very strange. Um, so once you do that, then you then do it with heat. And then once you do it with heat, you then do it again, like training, but we set full buildings on fire in order to do our training to get recruits to understand like the kind of the stresses that they'll be under. Yeah. And then once you've done that, you go and do it for real. <laughs> Jeez. When it's when it's not safe and you can't kind of you, you have to it's where you get a kind of sixth sense towards what's right and what's not. So you, you've heard about like your gut feeling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is that plays a very big part in um when we go into fires. Because you can be somewhere and think something doesn't feel right and it's because subconsciously you've clocked something. Yeah. But you, you can't you couldn't put your finger on it. Um so the only time I've like there's loads of stories about firefighters having that, but for me it was one of them where mine was the opposite, where I didn't clock something. So we went into a building, me and this lad, it was um, like an old paint factory. So we're trying to put this fire out, and this fire's not going out. 
So I'm sat down. So like I got to a point that the heat was really battering us back. And like I sat down and uh, he came kind of came up to me and he's got his old reel and I've got mine and was trying to spray water into the back to try and put this fire out. And just for no reason, just he just went, What are you sat on? So I said, I don't know, just I'm sat on my leg out. And he went, hang on, let's have a look. So we kind of tried to 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 see what as best we could under the fire. And I was sat on an acetylene cylinder. Now I don't you like all cylinders are bad, but acetylene goes off like a bomb. When it's exposed to heat, it explodes and it will take out buildings. Wow. And I've been sat on this thing that had actually started to swell because of the oh heat. Oh, my God. So just from him, just, like, kind of having that moment of, there's something not right. Let's have yeah. a quick look round. Because, yeah. again, I hadn't seen it because I'd become task-focused on trying to put this fire out. Yeah. Um, so we got out of there. The three streets around this building got um, evacuated. And then it didn't go off because we managed to cool it down uh, long enough. But it's one of them where a lot of the time, It'd be very easy for people to be seriously injured or yeah. die in 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 the in the job I'm in. Um, yeah. But it's only through the training that we're not. Uh, but obviously, certain times things do happen. Like there's there have been firefighter deaths, um, and a lot of that is is heartbreaking, uh, and wor made worse by the fact that when something like that happens, you know that that next day or whatever, you've still got to go and do the same thing. Yeah. That that kind of led to that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 an it's an odd career choice to pick because it's a career choice where you're almost actively putting yourself in danger. So, like I said, when I first joined, I didn't have any kind of. I had no kids. Um, I had uh, I had my girlfriend, but for me, it was like, right, what's more important to me, saving these people. I then got to a point in my career where then I had a baby. Yeah. And my. Um, Priorities changed to be then. It wasn't about maybe saving those other people. It's about making sure that I'm here long enough to see my little girl grow up. And then yeah. as, as, as the years went on, then I got my little lad as well to make sure that I'm there for them. So that's kind of, for me, why I went into the training side of it, yeah. is to make sure that not only am I safe, but the people that are coming through, I can try and do the best to make sure they're safe so they can go home to their families. Yeah, yeah. So Wow, that's really deep. I know, that's not like me at all. I'm like a puddle. <laughs> but this is classic podcast, though. It starts <laughs> off in one topic, then we end up in down the rabbit hole another one, and it's, uh, yeah, I love it, I love it. That's so, so interesting. I'm absolutely fascinated by that. It's just got so many layers to it that I'd never thought mm. of. Like, you, you are, you're stepping into a building, and like you say, with that canister that you were sat on, mm -hmm. there must be so many instances where there are these things in... Because, like I say, you don't know what's in the building. Yeah. You have no idea. There could be just, like, loads of gas or oxygen tanks or whatever anywhere in that building, and at some point they could go off and you just wouldn't know about it. Um, no, you wouldn't. And it's that's just crazy to think about because it's such a... It's just the risk factor, I suppose, isn't it? It's the kind of, when you go into this building, what is going to happen sort of thing. Yeah, and that's that's for the officers outside and for the firefighters themselves. That's the... the we. When we're at incidents, we do something called a dynamic risk assessment, uh, which is a fancy term for pretty much seeing the benefit and the risk. Yeah. Like, is the benefit of your actions worth the risk that you're going to put yourself under? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, obviously, when you, you're quite green and new to the job, putting a building out is like a, a, big, a big thing, a big deal. That's what you should do. Whereas yeah. once you get a bit further on in your career, you're like, do you know what? If, that build, if we lose that building, 
I'm not that bothered because I don't want to lose a life to save a building. Yeah. Because obviously buildings can they can just rebuild it. But if you lose a life, then that's something different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also cases now where we, for instance, if you went to um, when we go to fires, if there's if it's a person's reported, so that's where you turn up and then you're told right there is somebody inside. We now will not always bring them people out. If we go in there and that person's like welded to the floor, we wouldn't bring that body out because not only are you going to disturb evidence, you've got the people outside, the families outside, that you don't want to be bringing yeah. parts of people out. Yeah. But then it takes a big, it takes a, a big um, responsibility to turn around and go, do you know what? This person is is clearly dead. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, there's certain criteria that we have to make sure that's happened. So it's like massive cranial injury, uh, over 90% uh, burns. But you can, like, there's times when you can tell. Like, yeah. if somebody is literally melted to a floor, then you know that they're not coming out. Um, but on the other side of it, we've had it where we've had to rescue people and you drag them out and the families are there and you're trying to to do uh, CPR on these people. Yeah, yeah. And the one thing that I did take out of um, the, this, like, when I joined at kind of 19, very green, didn't like not a lot of I had life experience, but not a lot of life experience in relation to kind of death because nobody in my family had ever died. Yeah. So like the first dead body I saw was on jobs. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of made me a lot more. Um, what's the word? Not realistic, but I kind of, I could now I now see people that we rescue. You can tell when it's when it's a person or if it's just a bag of meat. Yeah. That sounds really odd, but like I go to jobs now and like if somebody's dead, it doesn't not bother me is the wrong word, but I I don't I don't feel any emotional attachment to it because as soon as that person dies, they're not that person, if that makes yeah. sense. They're just yeah, yeah. they're just like they are literally just like a bag of meat. Yeah. So it doesn't bother me, which makes me sound really weird. No, no, I think that's that's just defence mechanism, isn't it? Yeah. Because because you are seeing traumatic things. Um, and I did a podcast recently with a guy who was in the police department mm-hmm. um, and he had serious like PTSD and mental health issues because he saw a young guy take his own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, he only had those issues because he didn't speak to someone about it. Like yeah. he, he said it in the podcast, he talked about it. And he goes, you know, my, um, my superior officer asked me, you know, how are you after that? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But he wasn't. Yeah. He, was, he was genuinely scarred from that. But for you guys to to look at, to go into those situations on the regular, and like you say, it's it's about that black humor. It's about seeing that as not a person anymore because having to take that on would be so difficult, yeah, so hard mentally. That's crazy. There's only really one time that it's like that it actually affected me, um, and I bore you now with that. If you've got like, oh, if you don't, if you don't, want. yeah. So all it was, um, so it was a it was Boxing Day. Uh, and a car full of five lads that had been out drinking all day came down and T-boned into um, a Ford Fiesta yeah. that had a mum and uh, her son, a 15-year-old son, and his two friends in. Now, when it hit it, the car had span and the son had managed to... He'd gone out of the passenger window uh, and ended up under the, under the roof of the car as it had landed. His legs were tangled up with his mum. She was the only one that survived the crash. Yeah. So when we were trying to get her out, she was asking about her son. And then we had to, like, once she got took off to hospital, we kind of lifted the car and put this body into a body bag. Now, that one bothered me, uh, and I didn't know why for a long time. It just kind of... It was one of the things that it just every now and then come back to me. Yeah. Uh, I think it was just the kind of... 
it was because it had just been Christmas. It was Boxing Day. You kind of in your brain, I was like, this shouldn't have happened. Yeah, do you know what I mean, they, they didn't do anything wrong. They were just there at the wrong time, kind of thing, and that bothered me for a while. That, but like I said, then you you learn to talk to people about it, and it's about especially for blokes. Now, this is still pre prevalent now, even though it shouldn't be, but we still don't like to talk about stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Stuff's bothering us. What we do is we get it, we shove it in that little box inside us, we thumb <laughs> it right down, and we just ignore it until it festers up and explodes and we start shouting at people that we love. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you do that, and talking about stuff is good. Um, finding other coping mechanisms is just as good, I think. But, again, a lot of people now, they don't, they still don't talk about how, like you said before, when that uh, the copper, somebody said to my wife, he's like, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but we all do it. Because, yeah. especially for, and again, I'm going to say this now because you're only a young whippersnapper and I'm an old man. <laughs> um, it was always, I was always brought up with that boys don't cry mentality. And that's something that's, now it's a lot better because obviously, again, people are talking about, um, uh, not just feelings, but like kind of mental health and things like that. Yeah. And so it's a lot better now than it was. Um, and again, I've seen that through my, my career in the fire service from when I first started, where obviously you could tell when people aren't right and you wouldn't talk about it because you just, no, come on, let's let's man up and yeah, we'll yeah. just deal with this. And then now it's a lot better. Yeah, so. that's, that's encouraging to hear. Um, okay, I'm interested in the psychological aspect, not from mental health, but more... Um, because you used the words or the phrase task focused, yes, which is a, a sports psychology thing, um, and I'm quite intrigued. Do you guys go through? Because obviously you go through physical training, like yep. I mentioned before, to stop make sure that you are fit enough to get yourself and and or mm -hmm. other people out. Um, and is there a, is there an element of working on your psychology? So, like you say, desensitizing yourself to that fear, mm -hmm. um, and then other things. Based around, you know, am I being task focused? Is it a case of like, um, do I need to work harder at being my mental toughness or my resilience, that sort of thing? Is there a kind of a psychological aspect to training? Um, so I would say for for firefighters, um, the, there isn't a specific um, kind of mental training that we would do other than a lot of it comes down to the type of people that join the service. Yeah, okay. Because um, obviously... A lot of firefighters, be it um, men and women, the the people that join the job are usually those that are kind of sports based. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? The, the, we all we all kind of a similar way of learning, being like that hands on, get dirty way of doing things. Yeah. So a lot of the mental resilience is kind of already bred in when by just the very nature of the people that apply for the jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing that I will say that all firefighters... There's two things you can't tell a firefighter, okay? One of them is that they can't, they can't wear BA. That's breathing apparatus. Because yeah. that's like our bread and butter. If you tell them they can't do that, they're not happy. And they can't do DIY. <laughs> Those are the two things you never say to a firefighter <laughs> yeah. because that will just start a fight. <laughs> but that is kind of the, the mentality is like, we, we have a goal, we do things, and we get jobs done. Yeah. Um, with that also comes the opposite side of it, where now... Again, because I'm in this incident command um, position uh, for training people. I mean, you probably heard him. There's a lad called Gary Klein. Have you heard of him? Uh, rings a bell, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, you, I'll, I've got one of his books. I'll send it to you. It's brilliant. And it's about the psychology of decision-making. Yeah. Um, okay. And with that, obviously, comes a lot of the um, 
about understanding your what you can and can't do mentally. So again, firefighters will, and especially I'm just as bad at this. If we, for instance, are trying to get through a door, yeah, we will pick up a tool and we yeah. will use that tool. And if that tool doesn't work, we won't put it down and change it. We'll keep using that tool until we make it work. Yeah. Because that's what we've got hold of. <laughs> we become task focused and that is it. That is what's happening. Yeah. Um, I've seen people, because what we were always told was, if there's a door, you get the door ram off and you, you ram it. And I've seen people try ramming a door. Somebody else has come over, just opened the door with the handle and pulled it towards them where they've yeah. been trying to put it through yeah. because you become task focused. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that side of it is uh, it's something that we, I'm seeing a lot more of now when it comes to officers because it's about having that mental resilience, having understanding the stresses where you can turn around and say, do you know what? This is becoming overwhelming for me. I need to step back. Yeah. And this is that giving out a span to control so that then I can take some of this pressure off me. It allows you to just uh, recuperate, review what you're doing, and then think, right, do you know what? This plan I'm doing now is not working. I need to change it. Yeah. And it's also about listening to others because just because, for instance, if I'm in charge of an incident myself, doesn't mean I know the best of what's going on. No, yeah. You need to have that group, uh, that group together, that group chat, to make sure then that, do you know what? Somebody else could see something slightly different. And that's one of the, the best things about the fire service. It's this kind of coming together of all different minds from all different fields and go, right, how can we do this? Well, the easy way would be this, okay? But this way, if we do it this way that nobody else has thought of, that will actually be easier and safer. Well, we'll have a go at that. And that's generally how, how most um, incidents run. Obviously, we have standard operating procedures where it says, right, for a... For, for instance, for a um, an incident involving water, there are set procedures you will do. You do not let anybody go near three metres. If they're going within three metres of water, they put on a life jacket, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. But we don't have them for house fires okay. because every house fire, every building fire is different. We have yeah, things for yeah. breathing apparatus. You, what, if you do that, you should put it on in clean air. You should make sure that all your skin is, is not covered up. But nothing says, right, when you go in, this is exactly what you do. Because they're all different. Yeah, yeah. So that's where that mental training and that mental toughness and the tenacity of the firefighters kicks in. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know, you know yourself, I mean, trying to... You, I remember I listened to one of your podcasts, you talk about when you're on your bike and you're on your own and it's just that horrible grind. Yeah, yeah. Now, when we, we go to fires and obviously we, we put... So I've just started jumping about again. Um <laughs> So when the fire service turns up, so I turn up at a building fire, okay? Yeah. And then if I'm in wearing B8, I go in and I put the fire out. The job then isn't done because what we then have to do is we have to dig out everything that's been on fire. We can't leave that, that building with any uh, embers or any kind of charred material in there that could possibly start another fire. Yeah, yeah. So not only do you kind of, you, you rip your tripe out trying to get in there, battling against the heat, the, just the sheer weight of the equipment, and possibly rescuing somebody, so the average person now weighs, what, at least 80 kilogram? Yeah, probably, yeah. Trying to drag a dead weight out of a building is hard work, especially when you've got something, another at least 60 kilograms worth of equipment on your back. Yeah. And you're doing that battling over, like, 300 degrees, 500 degrees temperature. Yeah. So once you've done that, you then still got to dig it out. You've still got to then search through. So that mental toughness that we have just because of the nature of how we are as people, that gets you up so far, but it can also become a bit of um, a negative where you will push yourself past kind of what's safe for yourself. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's where you need to have your team or somebody that's watching over and saying, do you know what? That person there, go and stop them. And you have to physically stop people because they want to do. Nobody wants to be seen as weak. Nobody wants yeah. to be seen as giving up. Yeah. And again, that's just the kind of, I think that's just the kind of sports person's mentality. So. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I have a question about, kind of related to that, in terms of communication. Yes. Because um, you, you mentioned earlier how fire... Um, like deadened sound, which I think is mm-hmm. a really a really good phrase for kind of deadened sound. Because like you meant, it's like that kind of roaring that you just don't, yeah. you can't hear anything else because it's just all around you sort of thing. Um, so do you guys have radios inside your breathing apparatus or is it more a case of like hand signals or what's the deal? Um, so we do, we have, um, we have radios that we wear like with our breathing apparatus sets. Okay. Now they are no different really to the police radios that they have. Yeah. The, the, the nothing special... Uh, although some of them are intrinsically safe, meaning that obviously if you go into anywhere that's got a flammable atmosphere, it won't set set it on fire. Yeah. Okay. But you can... They're hard to hear because of, the, like I said, the nature of fire. Um, yeah. You can't do the kind of hand signal type stuff because you can't see. Your hand you can't your see. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you're talking within the mask, the actual... Um, the breathing apparatus mask, it reverberates around the mask. So it's it's just it's just it's very difficult to communicate. You get to a point where you can then you be able you learn your um, your partners your uh, breathing apparatus partners their mannerisms and how they speak to be able to work out what they're saying. But it's very difficult. There isn't a kind of it's not clear at yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, which again just adds to that kind of that isolation that there is when you're wearing breathing apparatus side of building. Even though you're with somebody, when you split up to try and go around a room. You can get very kind of isolated. Oh yeah, which I can is imagine. weird. Yeah, especially that. I mean, I I got lost once in a building, um, and it wasn't a big building. It was um, it was a single story uh, like factory, but it was about as wide as a shipping container. So it was only that wide, but it was probably like the length of three. Now in it, it had a set of stairs, which I, to my mind, I was like, there shouldn't be stairs in this. And the stairs went up, and it was just like a, a mezzanine. Okay. Uh, so we went up there. Me and this, this, uh, this. There was three BA teams in, so there were six of us inside. So me and my partner went up this little bit of stairs, uh, got to the top of the stairs, and he went right, and I went left, and we kept in voice contact. But for some reason, I just lost where I was, so I couldn't find the stairs. Now yeah. the panic that I had at that point because I couldn't hear anything. Because again, the sound was deadened. I didn't know where my exit was. Yeah, it was it was horrible. It was I mean, like the I most mean, yeah, the scared building I've been is, in. The building is yeah. literally on fire. <laughs> yeah, That's and I just, crazy. it was it was horrible. It was like if you imagine sticking yourself in a dark room, and then saying, "Right, there's a possibility you're not coming out of here. Go and find your way out." And everywhere you touch is just kind of wall. You're like, there must be a door here somewhere, but I can't find it. And just that that. That's again where that mental toughness stuff. You have to kind of talk to yourself. Say, right, stop. Go back to you what you've been taught. Start from the beginning. Calm your ass down. Yeah. And it's like I said, it's weird, but it's it's all good. And obviously, I'm here now, so everything went right. And it's fine. It's working. It's yeah. working. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, okay, I mean, I'm like we said before. I am. People seem to be mesmerized by fire. Hmm. 
And you said something called fire science earlier, which has been stuck in my head because that sounds really cool. Um, it so in terms does of sound cool, but I bet it's, no, I bet it's really difficult, it's, isn't it? It's not. <laughs> um, so fire science. Do you learn about how you know fires behave and that sort of thing? Yeah, that again, part of it is um, when we turn up to uh, any kind of building fire or car fire or whatever. A fire isn't just that hot red thing that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you remember from school there was something called the fire triangle? Yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that 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 doesn't apply anymore. We have um, <laughs> we have the fire tetrahedron. Okay, which sounds Bloody impressive. But yeah. All they did was the so you've got uh, for a fire to to start you need a fuel, oxygen, uh, and heat source. Okay. Well, you also need the the extra one they put in that made it a tetrahedron was a ke- <laughs> was a, a chemical reaction. Which oh, okay. Is, Bollocks! They've just that. You know I mean? I was always in there. They just put a name on it. Um, but anyway, so that's that's pretty much what fire science is. However, obviously, different materials burn at different speeds, different intensities. As you saw, obviously down south uh, with Grenfell, yeah, the materials there change how fires react and how that that would ne- nobody would ever have considered that to have been a problem that a fire in in one uh, flat could then chase up a building and set the entire building on fire. Yeah. So these things, as uh, modern materials evolve and we get uh, more open-plan spaces in houses, it changes how we, as firefighters, have to deal with fires. Um, also, we don't just use water to put fires out. We've got high-expansion foam we use, uh, carbon dioxide, and then there's other like um, types of water delivery systems we use. We don't just use a hose pipe. So it's not like in your back garden where you've got the hose. Yeah. On our fire engines, we have these high-pressure hoses that we use, or we have the big red hoses like you've seen on Fireman Sam or when you see, like, big fires, the big yeah. red ones. Yeah. Now, those are heavy as hell to move around. <laughs> I can but imagine, they deliver, yeah. they deliver more water. Um, we also have high-pressure lances now that will cut through buildings, they'll cut through brickwork, yeah. which is great for if there's a room that's got a fire in it. You can stand outside, you can put that in. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah. dampen it down, lower the temperature, so you can get people in. But they don't extinguish fires, so it's kind of for every advancement we get in equipment, there's an advancement in kind of materials and stuff that then negates that, as in starts making it. It's no, no more safe than it was hundred years ago when the cotton mills were on fire and they're yeah. going in with plastic wet legs and just water. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that is crazy. I mean, so think about. This has all just been pretty mind blowing for me. I'm I'm absolutely fascinated. I kind of I kind of I've always, like I said before at the start of this, I wanted to be a firefighter for a while. And listening to you talk about this hasn't really put me off. <laughs> what um, I would say is firefighting is the one job where you get to hang out with your friends and do something really cool. Now yeah. obviously that that's I don't think I should that shouldn't be the way I would advertise a, fi- a firefighter's <laughs> job. But, like, on a personal level, as I, I go to work, and especially when I used to work on station, I'd go there and we'd hang out and we'd have a laugh all day. Yeah. And I'd train and I'd do the job I love. Yeah. And I get to say to people, it was it was brilliant. Yeah. You know I mean? There's, there's nothing like it. Um, the downside to that is working Christmases and night shifts oh, and not yeah. being able to book holidays. But, again you kind of got to weigh them up because you then also get three days off. So it's kind of like that yin and yang of it and people do it for the right... If people do it for the right reason, it's a job they love. 
Yeah. If they do it just because they might want to have a go, they don't last. Yeah. It's one of them. It's one of them jobs where it's a job for life. Unless you do something stupid and get um, get fired or something terrible happens, it's one of them jobs where you get in, you're pretty much staying it for life. Yeah. Because that's just the that's, way it is. Yeah, yeah. That's really... It's quite an inspiring job, I think, like you say, because you are saving people, helping people. Um, and that's why that's kind of why I want to become a sports psychologist, because I, I, I want to help people, as mm-hmm. kind of strange as that phrase sounds. Um well, I said but, it first, so it sounds all right to me. That, don't <laughs> I? Well, I, I have a question about yeah. why your fireproof, um, or actually the opposite of that. Why, why are your clothes not fireproof if if uh, you're running into fires? Uh, again, would come down to cost. Okay. So that's, I mean, again, I'm not being callous about that, but the reason, so our stuff isn't fireproof, so it does, it does burn. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's got some level of fire protection, but if you put okay. it to a naked flame, it will set on fire. So right. that's when you've got to kind of... If we were to go in in kind of great big silver space suits that meant we will not burn, you couldn't move in it. You couldn't rescue people. Yeah, so you've got yeah. to kind of... You've got to balance that, being able to do the job and safety. So obviously, you take uh, a firefighting media in with there, like water, for instance. Yeah. You then... You're... you're the equipment, the uh, uniform you're wearing doesn't have to be as protected against fire because you've got something to control that fire in the first place. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. So it's just that kind of balancing act of of which is which, really. Uh, that makes sense, yeah. I'm with you, I'm with you. Okay, that makes a lot more sense than um, what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, this has been absolutely fascinating chat about firefighting and the time has absolutely flown by. It has. Um, I, I bored the pants off you and you've, looked, oh, you've, you've not looked not. that bored. Give over, um, but now I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Joe Rogan. If you if you're still listening to this, which I hope you are, because this has been um, a chat that I don't think people could be like, oh, this is boring. I don't want to listen to this. This is a this is one of those that's kind of you stick with because the time has gone so fast, sort of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, this this is probably going to be a long one um, because I want to talk about your time on ten thousand BC. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, do you want to kind of give a brief overview of what ten thousand BC is? Firstly, yeah. So, um, in two thousand fifteen, I believe it was, or two thousand fourteen, uh, I went on a TV show called Ten Thousand BC, and what the premise of the show was. Uh, so, it was a reality TV show, but it wasn't sold to me at the time as a reality TV show. Okay. Uh, the, the premise was: Can modern day uh, man, men and women, can modern day man live like they did in the Stone Age? And yeah. the answer was no. <laughs> we Spoiler <can't>. alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, <laughs> so what happened was they got 20 uh, different individuals. Um, and I, I saw the, uh, it was an advert online. Uh, and the advert was, do you think you could live without your mobile phone? Do you wish times, do you wish you could live in uh, times before technology kind of took everybody away from doing things? Uh, I up for a challenge, and I was like, yes, yes, yes. Get me on that. Uh, so I applied. Um, so just sent an email in, uh, yeah. and then I had to go for an interview. And then they're like, oh, tell us about yourself, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like... But the first thing I said was, well, first off, I just want to point out, I bring nothing to the table. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm a firefighter, but I I have no skills. At least I, you're I, honest, I suppose. Yeah, well, I think that was one of the things that kind of swung it for me, because... 
<laughs> I, I've always been one of the people that I will work really hard. If somebody yeah, tells me this yeah. is what they need doing, I can do it, and I can carry stuff like a like a donkey. Do you know what I mean? I I, I can move stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I have no I had no skills, so I I just they said like, well, what what could you do? I said, well, I reckon I could do everything, provided somebody tells me how to do it. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. so they got these twenty people, uh, and it was a mix of um, there was one uh, fella who was the European atlatl champion. Now an oh. atlatl is a type of spear that they used to use at that. Um, in the Neolithic times. So I see. That, so that was like a legitimate hunting thing. So this yeah. guy, he was like a champion of that. There was a guy who was a survival expert. Uh, one guy who was, um, he was a poacher. Another guy was a butcher. Uh, there was uh, an older day who was, um, she knew about foraging. She kind of had, uh, like she'd done a, a master's in the 70s about foraging. So you could put her in, in my garden now and she could cook, rustling something up. Um <laughs> But she didn't make it into camp. She got there on the first day and collapsed and then got taken off. Oh, great. <laughs> so, so that went down real quick. Um, oh, dear. So we had all these different things. Uh, and the way that they said it was, so you're going to do eight weeks. We're going to put you in this camp. So we'll make you a camp. Yeah. But we're then going to leave you and you have to survive. So we went to, um, it was in Bulgaria. We went to a hunting reserve and they put us um, into the hunting reserve and there was a guy there called Clint Janulus, who was our kind of... He was the presenter for the show, uh, but he was also... He's, oh, this this man was amazing, and he won't mind me saying that, because I'm going to make sure he <laughs> listens to this. Um, he was an ex-Navy SEAL. Wow. Uh, and then he studied uh, archaeology, paleontology. Cool. So not only could he, he kill you to death with <laughs> his combat skills, <laughs> he could kill you to death with his steely good looks... Oh, of course. Um, it was just, it was like the ultimate male. <laughs> and I had a man crush on him so bad. <laughs> <laughs> An absolute alpha. <laughs> um, so, but then he was like saying, right, well, this is how you do this thing. This is how you, um, this is how you make tools. And this is like how you make fire. Now, I, the, the closest I'd ever come to making fire was turning my cooker on. And the closest thing I'd ever come to foraging was going to the supermarket, like trying to find biscuits. <laughs> yeah. So that's that was my kind of like my survival um, skills there. But again, it's it was one of them things that um, it was it's the best hardest thing I think I've ever done. Yeah. Um, sorry, wife. What were you saying then? Oh yeah, sorry. She she's just giving me pointers now about what I should say. Um, <laughs> uh, no, so that that was the premise of the show. Um, so they put us in this hunting reserve. Now the problem was this they, they, they wanted to see if modern day man could live like a um, Neolithic or Stone Age person could. But we, we we could physically do it, but we, instead of being like uh, a modern-day tribe that was put back there, we were almost put back there like a group of orphans because we didn't have any kind of anybody to, to show us actually how to do these things. We had yeah. knowledge, yeah. but we didn't know how to actually make it work. So we, di- we didn't know how to track animals. Uh, they never told us where the animals were. So they kind of just put us in this big open area and said, right, do it. Now, yeah. on paper, that sounds brilliant. In practice, it was it was ridiculous. I mean, I, me and this other lad, as so I went in there and I lost over the eight weeks, I lost two stone. Now, I went in pretty much as I am now, so I wasn't overweight in any way, shape or form and lost two stone in eight weeks. Oh, my God. Because I just, there was no food. Yeah. Um, uh, me and this lad... 
in our slight delirium, food delirium, uh, stalked um, a log. It was a big, a big, a big log that we thought was a wild boar. We'd seen it. We thought, oh, it's a boar. So then we were kind of creeping through the forest, and we had like our, our pointy sticks that we were going to try and attack this. This. Have you ever seen a boar in real life? No, I don't think I, I want to either. To be no, honest. it it's like um, they're almost the same size as an old Mini Cooper. That's what like with, with massive things. Yeah, with tusks. Yeah. So oh I'm, I'm going at it with a pencil, effectively. <laughs> and I got up to it. I thought, right, I'm going to do. I'm going to have it. I'm going to do it. And I got there, and it was a log. So that just th- that just ruined it for me. <laughs> that was really uh, quite a big log. Wow. <laughs> uh, I was the um, the series. The, so this was series one of Ten Thousand BC. I was the uh, great white hunter who managed to kill two mice. Um, I <laughs> I skinned one of them. Uh, took his little nice. jacket off. Little, nice. we learned, I'll say that. I took his little jacket off. I cooked him. He tasted all right. Uh, the next one, I just cooked him with his fur on oh, um, because I couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Uh, we then got told like not to not to do it because they had this thing called trigonosis, which is something that becomes a degenerative disease, which you can get from eating these cooked oh my God. mice. Um, so there was that side of it. Um, also, I... Got outsmarted by three, no, two turtles that I caught. <laughs> so the first one, I caught it, and I was like, "Yes, I've caught a turtle. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat it. We're gonna take it out. We're gonna feast on this small turtle." Um, so I put it, uh, I tied it up into a tree with like I had this leather uh, bit of scrap. So I tied it up, put it in a tree. Came back ten minutes later, it had gone. Outsmarted first, <laughs> and then my second one. Um, I got it. I thought, right, I'm going to stick it in my shoe. So I stuck it in my boot that they give us, and I'll get onto the clothing in a second if, you, if you've got time for it. Um, I stuck it in the boot and thought, right, he's not getting out of there. He can't escape. And I came back again, and he'd gone. <laughs> so the next one's like, right, you little, you little motherfucker, you're not going anywhere. So I kept hold of him. Uh, I got back, and then I had to kill him, and it was the most guilt, gut-wrenching, guilt-inspiring thing I've ever done. Yeah. Having to actually kill... Something because, like, when we go to the shops now for food, um, or if you go to like McDonald's and that, there's such a disconnect between the food we eat and what it was. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So, we yeah, had to yeah. kill this this turtle, like, kind of. So, we got it, and I said to the range because we had to go out with the ranger again. These rangers were, um, they had shotguns with them in case any of the animals, like the bigger animals, came after us. Yeah, because uh, yeah. again, these boars are quite nasty, they can break your leg. Uh, so I, I've got my turtle, and I'm, I'm I'm feeling proud that I've I've done this now. I've, <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've caught the slowest animal I could find in the forest. <laughs> um, so he said, right. Well, the way to do it is to get your kind of your spear that you've got that you've made out of a tree, uh, and stick it through its head and then out the back. That will kill it. So I'm like, right, okay. So I did it, and it didn't die. Oh no. It, yeah, exactly. So like his little legs were going. I'm like, oh no. So I tried it again and again, and it, it was like the Terminator of. Of, um, oh, of turtles, it absolutely would not stop. Oh no! <laughs> so the guilt—I mean, I still tried to eat it, but the guilt I felt was horrendous. And it's one of the things that I'd never—I'd never had to worry about that. I, I don't—I didn't get guilt before when I was eating meat. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now I had that. Um, so then once, so but going back to sorry, the premise of the show was the, we went in and they took away all of our modern things that we had. So they yeah. took away our clothes, they took away our, our phones, uh, we didn't have any kind, you didn't have coffee, all that kind of thing they took away to, yeah. to get us back down to this basic um, human existence. So we were wearing uh, leather clothing that they would have had at the time. Yeah. They did give us some Berghaus boots because oh, nice. our feet, 
they wanted at first us to just walk around barefoot. Yeah. But our feet now aren't, they've kind of devolved away from being thick enough to yeah, be able to do that yeah. and actually be able to walk anywhere. Yeah. So um, they give us that and they made us um, like different types of shelters to live in. So there's like a big TP one and then there was these other kind of half shelters that we were sleeping in. And I'd never been one for kind of sleeping outside before. Obviously, I fell asleep in the park and stuff like when I was <laughs> obviously, younger. Obviously, yeah. Yeah, obviously, yeah, uh, obviously. But never to a point where I'm like, I'm going to choose to do this. Uh, yeah. So we didn't have covers or duvets. They give us animal skins okay. that they got. Um, yeah. So trying to snuggle up under like fur that stinks because yeah. it again was just animals. Yeah. Was was weird, but very liberating mentally. Which sounds odd because the only thing I had to worry about there when I was in the in the forest was uh, make sure we had wood for a fire, trying to find food, and that was yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have to worry about bills. I didn't have to worry about um, what was was like. Didn't have time to get to the shops. Didn't have time to do this. Wanting to kind of right. Well, I want to go and I've got to do my work, and but I want to do something for me, kind of creatively. I want to do that. I didn't have any of them worries. The one thing that I didn't have was um, I didn't have a family. You have no contact with your family. Now, yeah. at the time, I had Monroe, and she was two. Now, my thoughts was obviously I thought she she won't remember this anyway. So if I go away now, it won't be that much of a problem. Yeah, yeah. But the the kind of the sudden loss of family. Again, hit really hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was just like I said, it was, it was a really, it was a great experience, but one that I, I, I'd like to do again, but I don't think I could. If that makes sense. Okay. Um, just because, again, like I mean, me and you've spoken now, and you know that I kind of, I'll have a go at most things. Yeah. But that was that one thing where I was like, we have it so easy now as people, like so easy. Like, if I'm hungry now, we eat now and I'm never hungry. I don't yeah. eat now because I'm hungry. I eat because in my mind, I think, oh, it's about tea time, I should eat something now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's never been as easy to get food. Do you know what I mean? Oh, of course, of course. And now we have a lot more time, I th- and this is just, I think, a society thing. We have a lot more time now to worry about stuff that sh- we shouldn't worry about. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, 100%, yeah. So... In like in front of me now, I've got I'm talking to you on a laptop. Uh, I've got my my phone's here. Now that phone has got more information on it than I will ever be able to find on the internet. Do you know what I mean? It's it's all there, but none of it's useful because I use that phone to watch cats fall off trees, fall off fences. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like when I was out there, it was so freeing to not have those distractions and just be able to appreciate kind of. I'm not getting all hippie-ish here. Not that there's anything wrong with hippies, but, like, appreciate nature. Do you know what I mean? And, like, yeah, yeah. I, I had... I made myself a cup of tea by boiling some water, and I put... Um, there was a mint... Some mint growing, just wild mint, and I put that in. And it's the best cup of tea I've ever had in my life. Yeah. It was just... Just getting back to that natural um, energy and kind of being... Not not what... Oh, man, I sound, re- I sound really wanky right now. Um... <laughs> But being like kind of, so I'd wake up when it got light and the birds would be there and the animals would be there and I'd go for a walk, um, which wasn't always great uh, because what, so right, I know, I know this is dragging on, I'm really sorry. No, you're um, good, you're good, carry on. Um, so we didn't have toilets either. 
Okay. Yeah, there, there was no toilets. You had to go and, and have yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah. a nature poo. Um, so when they first said this, in the back of my head at first, I was like, well, this is a TV show. Surely there's going to like, the cameras will go off and we'll go somewhere nice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have nature poos. But anyway, so they said, no, if you want to go and have a, have a dump, you've got to dig a hole and you've got to wipe your butt with leaves and then you cover the hole back in so that none of the kind of bigger animals will come. Uh, uh, crack on, have a good time. Um, so I thought, well, I built a toilet for everybody. So I, I built a deep hole and nice. I built some screening because I thought, like, there was this mix also was this 20 people was a mix of fellas and females. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like, right, well, I don't want to see anybody having a, having a shit. Uh, I don't want anybody to see me having a poo because that's like, that's my, that's private to me. That's. <laughs> I don't, I don't even sacred poo my door. Time. That's yeah, I don't time. even poo my door open here, and I've got children. They can try coming in now. I'm like, no, this is this is just for me. Um, so I thought, right, well, I'm going to go off for a poo because again, I don't want somebody coming over trying to use the hole um, at the same time I'm in there. So I went off for a walk, and I've got I've got my leaves, and I've not told the um, the rangers that I'm going because I don't want them coming with me or anybody with a camera. Of course. So yeah. I go yeah. So I go off, and I, I find this nice little glade. And I'm like, this this here looks like the nice kind of place for me to squat and drop a poo. <laughs> yeah. So as I'm going to talk about that because we're all people, we all do it. Um, there becomes a point where you like you you get yourself ready, and then you're gonna you're gonna do it. Yeah. So I'm I'm squatting and I'm looking around and then all of a sudden this jackal walks past me. Now, I've heard of, of jackals before, and I thought this thing would be like the size of a fox. It was like a wolf, and it started walking past me. I've got my pants around my ankles. I'm squatting out, and I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to die shitting. <laughs> and I can't scream, because if I scream, it it will do something. Yeah. So, so I then oh kind of had to, had to stop myself from doing what my body wanted to do naturally kind of shimmy my pants up and I thought I need a weapon I need something to protect myself from this beast that's going to kill me while I'm bobbing um, <laughs> so I picked up this this like branch off the floor and it was the crappiest most flimsiest branch ever and I kind of hefted it into my hand and it snapped and I looked up at the this jackal and it was still just walking past me like oh it's, it's, it's messing with me this is going to kill me and then I'm, I'm trying to find anything and there was nothing and I'm like I'm just going to die so then I just thought do you know what I'm just going to have a poo <laughs> and I just had to do it and just hope I was like in the back of my head I thought there's nothing I can do now I'm just going to have to just suck it well I didn't want to suck it up I'm just going to have to go for it do it and then leg it <laughs> and it was it's the one thing that it, it, I've never been so relieved to have finished having a poo in my life <laughs> so <laughs> so that was that one uh, and there's another poo related story if you've got time again uh, no, I have to tell the poo story, Frost. This is people want to hear about the problems that we have <laughs> as modern day people. So, uh, have you got time now? Or do you want I've to got, stop? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got less time. Right. So, um, so again, this is kind of as it got towards the end, people started the numbers started dropping off. People started leaving, saying they couldn't do it. Some people got ill. Some people left. Uh, and before we got down to the last five, which I was one of, just want to point that out there, I finished. Because nice. I was always going to finish because I wasn't going to have the piss to count me when I got back to work. Um, <laughs> so before I got down there, we'd all kind of moved out of these little um, uh, shacks that we were in into this kind of one big teepee where we then moved the fire inside, which sounds stupid, and it was, but it kept us warm. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But this one night, I'm kind of like, we all had to end up sleeping kind of like sardine. So you get your little animal first, you wrap around you. So you make almost like a sleeping bag, but then everybody like kind of squishing next to you so you could like lie and try and keep the heat together. A bit like penguins. Uh, yeah, pretty much exactly yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Now that's good until in the middle of the night, you kind of, you, you, you break wind because you're a human being. And then you think, that add more to it. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so at this point, then I've, I've I've been living on a diet of rotting apples and um, like twigs, because we had no food. You're eating twigs. Pretty much like we we were digging up. A, it's called cat's tail. So if you've ever been to kind of any kind of lake, you've got the the plants that stick up and they've got like the kind of fluffy bit on the top. Right. Yeah. At the bottom of there is something called uh, cattail, uh, which is edible. It's a bit like uh, it tastes a bit like potato, but minging. Uh, and it's enough okay. carbs in it to, to be able to fuel you. But yeah, I was living yeah. off that and then rotten apples because the apple we found apples and I was like, it's some kind of sugar, I'm eating this. Yeah. Even though it was making me sick, I'm eating it. Um, so I, like, had perhaps an accident, which in modern day you'd be like, well, I'll sort myself out and I'll fix it. Now, this was the middle of the night in a forest where there's no lights. Yeah. So I had to make my way out of the out of my animal skins out of my, out of the kind of yurt that we're in. Yeah. Uh, to go and try and sort myself out. Yeah. Yeah, we'll say that. Yeah. I then came back in and then had the horrible realisation that what about if I wasn't quite as covered up as I thought I was and I had um, scattered uh, on the person next to me. Yeah. Yeah. So in the dark, by the light of a singular log on the fire, I had to crawl up and sniff people while they were asleep <laughs> hoping to god they didn't wake up to yeah. see me sniffing them like some kind of weirdo <laughs> i then had to try it in the morning when i walked so then like everything was fine i was like right i need to tell them what's happened so i told them like what had happened and i then thought well i need to burn the pants that i've left outside because if the crew come with the cameras they're going to ask why are these pants here yeah. blah, blah, blah. so i put them on a fire at the point then one of them came down and saw me doing it so then I had to tell the world on TV what had happened. No way. Yes. Oh <laughs> no. Um, like I said, this uh, this program is still available on uh, Channel Five's kind of on demand. Uh, and as much as I'm like, yeah, I was in it. Watch it. It's really good just to see the difference there is in people. Yeah. Uh, at one point, me and this lad had a bit of a fight on it uh, okay. because <laughs> our um, work ethics were complete odds. So I am um, a working class northern lad. You you kind of you dig in, you work hard, you work hard for everybody. You get the job done, and then you can all relax. Uh, this other lad was the exact opposite of me. Uh, he was um, only a couple of years younger, but he was from Essex. He were he had he had money. He kind of not had an easy life. I'm not saying that about that, but his style of life compared to mine was vastly different. Yeah, yeah. So his work ethic was different. So he was very much about trying to make himself all right first and then everybody else, whereas mine's the opposite. Uh, so me and him had a, a decent argument on camera. Uh, nice, and I was nice. told that you're not allowed to hit anybody because then you'll be kicked off. Now, I'm not a violent person, but this lad I wanted to, to punch in the face. But I couldn't because <laughs> obviously I'd been told that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you get to see that kick off. Um, it snowed two foot overnight at one point. No where it wasn't way. supposed to snow. So oh we went God. from kind of wearing these little animal furs to then having to be taken out because some of the oak trees were collapsing around us. Yeah. 
It was, in fact, I'm, <laughs> oh you know what? It's that sad. I'm going to watch it again just for myself. Just because it was mint. It was great. I got yeah. to swim it. I got to swim it in a lake um, that sounds like nothing, but I hadn't had a, a bath up to that point or been in any kind of water because the only place we could wash was in a stream. And it was freezing. Yeah, it was Bulgaria. Um, so I had to swim in this lake, which is all good. And so you have to climb out. And it's not like a lake like we've got over here where you kind of got like a sandy bank and then you get into the water. It was yeah. just mud. So I just, I, I crawled through mud to get into the water to have a wash to crawl back out through mud. Oh, no. I, and then I couldn't get dry because I didn't have a towel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just bananas. <laughs> There's so many things you, you take for granted, like towels and dressing gowns and um, all that sort of stuff, you know. It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. Uh, and then the final bit on that uh, was that I got took out for two days out of the actual camp because my liver started to fail. <laughs> because my body was producing an enzyme that um, was poisoning me for energy. Because, again, I got down to a point where I had no, I'd lost my body fat. Yeah, yeah. I came out looking like a crack addict. I had a great beard. <laughs> I had a six-pack. and But I was just... I was I was rubbish. I just couldn't... I looked horrible. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But no, great experience. We'll definitely do it again. Let's. We should all go and do it. <laughs> but no, it was it was it was really good. I'm down. I'm down. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting what you say um, about kind of the technology causing quite a lot of kind of worry and taking us away from who we were who we were originally. Yeah. Um, and I was watching a program recently about some people. It was Gordon Ramsay actually. He went to go and visit some um, a community somewhere. Where was it? I think it was on like the Mekong. Uh, mm-hmm. on the Mekong River, somewhere like that. Um, probably somewhere else, actually. But it, in Peru, actually, somewhere like that. I don't know. It was a, it was a far-out remote colony, yeah. and they, they were talking about how they were just so happy and, like, yeah. content with what they had, but they didn't have phones, didn't have electricity. Like, they did everything by the work of their own hands, if you know what I mean. So, like, they, yeah. were, they were catching their own food, they were cooking it themselves, skinning it, all that sort of stuff. And it was it was so interesting to see how, like, Everyone in our society, in like the Western world, craves like happiness and yep. contentment and validation, all these things. And yet, these people that are living so much simpler lives, they're not worried about what Kylie Jenner put on Instagram the other day. Yeah, their their focus is, is about the food that they're eating and their family and whether everyone's okay, all that sort of thing. I, I do personally think that a reason why there is so many kind of so much more now uh, mental health is more prevalent nowadays. Yeah. Is because we have the time to start worrying about stuff that we never would have if we lived a more simpler life. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, medicine now is great, people living longer. All that side of it's good, and I'm not saying it's wrong, and having electricity, having hot water is amazing. The oh, first yeah. shower I had when I came out of the show was one of the best feelings I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. But I think when we, we get to a point now where we're at, like I said, we've got our phones, we've got everything, we don't need to, we don't need to hunt for our food. We don't need to kind of do anything everything is kind of within arm's grasp and it's easy yeah that allows yeah. us to then start uh getting uh neuroses and things that stop us being as happy as we were or could have been when life was simpler does that make sense oh yeah that's probably why the average weight of people's gone up so much as well oh yeah like the, the, the food we're eating is not is not good food no not at all um and it's so like you say it's so readily available at like kfc and McDonald's and like Domino's takeaways, all those sorts of things that, especially in like pandemic times, mm-hmm. I know people that have spent thousands of pounds on food because they've they don't want to go outside, so they're just ordering this stuff, but it's not good stuff. Yeah, 
it's not nice for them. It's it's really quite bad for them. It's like quite quite an interesting way to. Did your kind of perspective change then when you when you were doing that in terms of technology and things like that? Yeah. Um, so I I went in there um, a solid uh, meat eater. When I went in there, like I was one of those, I used to eat tuna by the bucket load, uh, <laughs> red meat stuff like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. After I came out, um, I went vegan. Uh, I am now kind of vegetarian vegan. Um, and it was mainly because, like, one of the, the early tasks they gave us was they gave us a deer that had just been shot and said, right, you need to skin it. Yeah. That's how you get your meat. Yeah, if yeah. You, like, if you catch something. Now, that kind of brought home to me that the, the meat we eat that's packaged, that's like the mint and all that stuff, it's an animal. It's, it literally was alive and breathing. It's yeah. now been killed for us to eat, but it's so wasteful. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, that yeah. side of it, um, I kind of, that flipped on its head for me. I was like, right, well, I don't I don't need to eat that. That These animals don't need to die. And I'm not preachy like, oh, we should all be vegetarian. However, it'd be better for the planet. It's been proven that by science. Um, but, <laughs> that was my preachy bit. Um, <laughs> but, and also the amount of waste that goes into it. So I think there's some um, there's some statistic, and I'm butchering it now. So when you get a lot of people writing into you saying, look, he said this wrong. Yes, I am saying it wrong, but you know where I'm going. Um, that for, for instance, a kilogram of meat... It takes a hundred kilograms of water, yeah, to to to, to get that, yeah. But for a hundred kilograms of, for instance, um, like um, uh, insect meat, it takes one kilogram of water, yeah. So the amount of damage and stuff we're doing to the planet just because of the way we eat now, currently in the Western world, and the amount of diseases we're getting because of the way that the meat is produced that we eat, yeah, is just ridiculous. Yeah. But because the big conglomerates and that, they control everything, and it is easy to get a, a McDonald's, and they do taste great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, and yeah. The, all the fat and the crap that's in it, our bodies crave. It's kind of, it's just one of the things that I think it's going to take something serious to change it, which is just unfortunate. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting what you say about insects, because I, uh, I used to work at a place called Living Rainforest. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of what I did there was a, like a tour um, for school school groups and public groups, that sort of thing. And one of the things I used to talk about um, on one of the tours was about the food that the rainforest produces for human beings and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and they've there's there's a wave. It's kind of weird in in the Western world. It's not been accepted at all, but in in like Asian countries and Asian culture, that sort of area. Their their acceptance of eating insects is is already up there. They already do it. Yeah. Um, and there's so many more insects in the world, and they take up less space. And there's so many arguments that eating insects and making them our primary protein and meat source mm-hmm. is so much better than than cows and chickens and sheep, etc. Oh, like, completely. All, all of these things are, are so much different. Um, but but the the concept of eating a cricket for someone that lives in the UK listening to us now is probably like, no, I wouldn't eat a cricket. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. But for them, like, I watched a program, this Gordon Ramsay program, he went to New Zealand and this New Zealand chef was like, oh, eat this grub, it's really nice. And Gordon Ramsay was like, I'm just not eating that. <laughs> I just don't want to eat this grub at all. He did eat it and he spat yeah. it straight out again. But, like, the, the, for some reason, we are just averse to the idea of eating insects. But actually, they're probably the best source of protein we have. Oh, um, yeah. Sustainably, at least, you know? Um so as 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 a vegetarian slash vegan kind of 
what's your view on on eating insects as as a protein source rather than meat from a cow or a, or a deer or whatever? Um, so again, um, for for myself, I I completely think that our kind of uh, the way we get our meat, our protein, uh, should change. So obviously, again, the, the insect side of it, I would agree with for most people. My problem with it is is not the necessarily the taking of of life. Yeah. It's the waste side of it. Yeah, yeah. So like when if I was to if if I was to shoot a rabbit, I, I I would eat that. I wouldn't have a problem with that because that that one rabbit there, it had a good good life. It's got killed, and if I dried the the fur out, so I kind of kept that. Yeah. And yeah. I used all the bits of it that I could. I would see that as okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But whereas I do, yeah, like do, yeah. now when we've got like truckloads of cattle and pigs going down, and the the conditions that they've been living in up to that point is horrendous. And then they're killed, and then you get them, and then you've got the reconstituted meat that's then just stuck into ham, and even that's just full of crap. Yeah. But then that's that's farmed out to, like, schools for kids to eat. It's it's not right, and there's, there's only so long before that will have a, a lasting effect on, on us as humans. I mean, we've already seen that with kind of the Western diseases that we have. Yeah. You know, high blood pressure and all that stuff has already been scientifically proven to be linked to the amount of meat that we eat. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's a really interesting point. Like, there, there's a show, I don't know if you've watched it, I guess um, being of your eating persuasion, you probably would have not watched this. But there's a show on Netflix called um, Meat Eater uh-huh. uh, with a guy called Stephen Ronella. And he's uh, he's obviously a, an American and he hunts for his um, meat. Um and it's so interesting because, like, again, it comes down to culture and society because yeah. with this... I know I keep bringing up this Gordon Ramsay show, but I've only just no, recently no. watched it and it's yeah. actually quite relevant to what we're talking about. So he, he was talking about how these people... Uh, he was in Morocco and they were they killed a camel. Yeah. And they were using camels as, as a meat source. Um, but everything was in that camel was was taken and eaten by someone. Yeah. So he had like part of the hump and he had part of the leg and he cooked that and gave it to the, to some local people. Um, and then other people like they even cook the head of the camel and do something with the head of the camel. Like um, they eat the brains of goats in Peru and things like that. Yeah. And they, everything is used. And the same with this Steve Ranella guy. I watch his programs and it's the same point you're making. Like he kills a deer, which which for a lot of people morally is, is why they're vegan because they don't want animals to die. Yeah. Um, but in, in your case, and I, I totally agree with this in a way, because what he does is he shoots it or he, you know, bow hunting, that sort of thing. He'll mm-hmm. kill it in some form. But then every single piece of meat he saves and like puts in his freezer or, or some sort of storage and eats it at some point. So like yeah. the tongue, he'll eat the tongue of the animals, all of this stuff that people just don't think about eating. You don't see tongue on 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 a on a restaurant table all that no. often. You don't see hearts, you don't see liver. It's not something that people associate with food nowadays, which is kind of crazy because, like you say, the amount of waste that now goes into these foods is ridiculous, really. Yeah. It's crazy. So, like I said, I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I, I find it weird that, and again, it's it's more of a, a cultural thing for myself where you've got Americans that will have a, a like a larder or a fridge full of food yeah, and then they go out and hunt. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of those ones... They're not hunting, for me, for the right reason. They're hunting for to just to hunt. Yeah, not, yeah. They're not doing it for the like to 
to have that animal to eat it to use all like its skin uh to tan its tan its like its skin to make leather and stuff like that yeah yeah um so my question to you now as a meat eater yeah yeah 100% yep um would you eat a like was it is it china or japan where they eat dog yeah, uh, would you yeah, eat, would you eat dog? <sighs> um, so now I can only tell I... you. So go on, you've now got like you're you're having a bit of a battle in your mind of would you or wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah? Now I'll change my question. Would you eat meat? Yes. So what's the difference of what animal it was? Yeah, I, mean, I was speaking to someone about this recently. Who was it? Um someone on the podcast I was speaking to about meat and, and how it's kind of hypocritical of, of me um, to say, like, I wouldn't eat a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, I think the situation depends, though. Like, if, if, I, if it was a survival situation, I'd probably eat anything. Um, so, like, if I was going to die and there was a dog nearby, I'd probably eat the dog because I, I want to live, you know? Yeah, um, no, that, but, that, that makes sense. But, yeah, but if it's like a... Oh, try this dog. I'd struggle for sure. And and I said to this person, I, I'm so annoyed. I can't remember who it is. I, I was speaking to them about it, and I was like, when I was in Africa on a uh-huh. family holiday, we ate, or I ate like crocodile and things like that. Yeah. And now I look back on it, I'm like, I'm not sure I wanted to. Like, I wasn't. I was too young to understand what was actually happening. Yeah. And now I look back and I'm like, I probably wouldn't have. I would have given it thought at least. Like with a with a steak. I, I don't give it a thought. I'm like, okay, I'm going to cook it and eat it. It'd be great. Yep. But with that crocodile, I'm like, I probably would have thought about it because for some reason, even though cows are significantly cuter than crocodiles, I'd still have my reservations about eating this crocodile, you know? Yeah. So it's a bit of a weird one. Um, I think it just got, it goes back to that cultural thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I found it hilarious when uh, a few years ago, it was either Marks and Spencer or somewhere like that, they kind of got accused that this horse meat in their yeah. in their food, it's horse meat. Yeah. It's horse meat. It's like, right? But, but, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, these people are going meat, mad. Because, it's, it's meat. <laughs> yeah, meat is meat, and I mean, like you said before, like if it was kind of life or death. But if it was life or death, I'd I'd eat you. Obviously, I'd, I'd save it to last. <laughs> I'd eat everybody else first. Oh, oh thanks. I appreciate <laughs> that. The but, sentiment is there. I appreciate. Yeah, it. but um, it is. It's one of the things that just I just find it. Um, that side of, of people I find find strange that like they, they can say, Yeah, I would eat this, I wouldn't eat this. Why? Well that one's a pet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But ultimately, <laughs> it's just meat. Yeah. It's just meat. Yeah. Um I don't know how I'll get onto this, sorry, mate. No, but cannibalism is a good is a good topic to finish, I think. As long as you don't eat the brain, apparently, that's what sends you nuts. Really? Apparently, yeah, if you eat too much brain, that that makes you, you go loopy. Human brain? Apparently, yeah. Wow. That's how you end a podcast. That, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Who knew? That's that's opened up a whole new side of my mind and the questions that I have. Because if you can, uh, we shouldn't even go there. That's, no, we should. No, we should. I mean, it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because why? Why? Why does eating a human brain? Because I'm assuming, having literally just said recently that that people eat goats' brains and things like that. Yep. Which I am fully, I fully endorse because, like, we talk about the waste, yep. um, and I probably so, would do just to clarify. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what? Why is it human brain that would send you crazy? 
I'm sure it's something to do with the chemicals that are inside it. Now, I don't know if it's about eating it raw or eating... Do you know what I mean? But there's something about... I'm sure it was. I don't, I'm going to find out and get back to you on it. But OK, it do was, it, do it. It was along the lines of that if you ate too much of it, and I'm sure it was a brain, that it does actually... It, it affects you physically. That's crazy. Wow. It, it comes back to a point that we kind of started on. I think we did start on it, about how just nuts the human body can be. Oh, yeah. Without us knowing anything compared to what our full potential actually is. It's, uh, I mean, I was listening to another podcast, a Joe Rogan podcast, with a guy called David Blaine. Yes. Uh, the magician. And he... Oh, yeah. Uh, slash endurance athlete, endurance performer. I don't, yeah. know what it was. I don't know what title he goes by. Uh, but he does crazy endurance stuff, and I would definitely recommend that podcast with Joe Rogan. Um, but he was talking about the monk who meditated for, like, 30 years non-stop like he woke up he meditated all day and then he went to sleep and that was his life um wow and he said this monk i mean there's obviously a, a take a pinch of salt with this it might yeah. not be true um and the same with the brain thing we need to look it up we're not sure if this is true yet it might be who knows um but it, with this monk he could like control blood flow so like he could move the blood from one finger to the other sort of thing right and it's like what and it's all these yeah. things like people people just get mind blown, but things you can achieve with a bit of effort and commitment, and and then like like that guy that's like four foot and weighs like seven stone, outpowering two grown oh yeah men that are like firefighters that are physically active to the highest degree sort of thing. It's just it blows my mind, and that's why I love the human body so much. Well, um, we only use a small fraction of our brain power, don't we? Yeah, the, yeah. So I mean that's. Once you can start opening that that up and controlling that, like you said, for David Blaine, I've seen I've seen the one the trick he does with the goldfish. No, where is that of, the one where he keeps it alive in his stomach or something? Yeah, where he kind yeah. of he'll he'll do something and then he'll kind of he, he, he like regurgitates goldfish. Yeah, yeah. No, again, that's all down to trainer where he swallows them and manages to keep them alive, yeah. like partially in his in his I don't in this whatever this part <laughs> of his chest is there that's not my stomach. <laughs> Yeah, like um, your esophagus type area. Yeah, yeah. But again, that's that's all brain and muscle related, body related. Yeah. So what that means then is that in theory, we could all do that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's just people have a, have for some reason don't want to swallow goldfish. Yeah, and no. How, how weird are they? <laughs> Very odd. I don't understand well, I, those people. After I finished making this this big wolf mask <laughs> that I showed you before, that might yeah. be my next one. I mean, I've, I've, I've done my knitting. I've done my making leather wallets now. I reckon I'm going to go for swallowing goldfish. You should do that trick. You mentioned another trick where you can swallow oil. And then if you, um, like, I don't want to say drink fire, but that's kind of the image I'm having. Of, yeah. like, you swallow oil and then you, you spit it out and have, like, a lighter in front of your mouth and it, like, creates just a ball of flames. Because, um, obviously, the oil sits on top of your yeah, yeah, yeah. the water. You obviously drink water first. And it sits on top of the water in your stomach, and then you can just bring it back up by regurgitating it. And I say it like it's easy, but because um, everyone can do that, can't they? You know, just regurgitate at will. Um, <laughs> classic, classic. Um, and I, obviously, I want to talk to you about barefoot shoes a bit um, yeah. because I know you wear some. I do indeed. Yeah. Um, do you wear them like religiously, or is it more a case of when you? Go for a run or go for a walk or something. Good weather. Uh, so for me, I would say I am a fair weather um, barefoot uh, enthusiast. Uh, yeah. That being that, usually it's when I go on holiday. 
I, wear, I like okay. to wear them. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I did wear them um, over here in this country and quite stupidly, I got them, I put them on and then went for like a two-mile run. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. I crippled myself up something chronic because, again, <laughs> yeah. you've got, as you well know, you've got to change the way you... You run and the way you walk, you yeah, have to yeah. you have to teach your feet to, to walk how we should do, not how we do do. We are taught taught to, I suppose. We're yeah. forced to even, forced to. Yep, that's it. Yeah. We we don't walk, as you well know now. I mean I'm not listening to all the podcasts, so you probably already covered this, so I'm not I'll make this very quick. Uh, um, not really, but yeah. The, the, the shoes that, and trainers that we use now make us walk heel striking first. Yeah. Which is not how we are designed to walk mm. as a species. Yeah, yeah. Which, when I found about like the the barefoot shoes, and I tried them on, and it hurt, and I was like, I found it madness that I'd never realised that I was I was using my own body wrong. I mean, I've been I've been using my body wrong for years. We won't get into that. <laughs> but that was like a fundamental thing that I don't even think my parents, when they got me shoes, knew that what they were kind of doing. Yeah, yeah. It so. is wild. It is absolutely wild how like because it's the case of like. You have to just kind of retrain your feet. They kind of what is it? They um, someone says that you like that you lose muscles in your feet that you because you're so cushioned in the shoe that you have, yeah. and the way that you walk is wrong, like you just said. So you lose the muscles in your feet. You lose that kind of sensory perception you get from your feet, um, and it's it's honestly wild to think about. And your ankle mobility. My ankle mobility is ridiculous now since I started wearing them. Absolutely, I could yeah. like fully squat. Like arse to grass squat with well, zero the, issues, zero warm up needed. No other way it. to squat. Exactly. Ass to the grass. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But people that wear cushioned shoes, like myself, for like twenty yeah. years, when when I was wearing cushioned shoes, my squat was awful. I had zero <laughs> mobility, and I went to a PT. Like I had like a free PT session at the new gym I joined, yeah. and he was like, "Yeah, yeah I, t- I say this to most people. You need to just stretch your ankles and try and work on your ankle mobility so you get a deeper squat." And I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." <laughs> Barefoot shoes, my squat is legit. <laughs> <laughs> I can squat for days. Um, so, like, yeah, if you, if you want to get better mobility in your squat, any powerlifters listening, go barefoot. Yeah, well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, cra- it's a crazy topic. I, I don't particularly want to um, bore people with if they're not interested, but um, maybe that's for another time. Well, don't uh, worry. I've already bored them for nearly two hours now, so don't, don't you worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I think we... Um, We'll leave it on, on human brains and cannibalism, etc. Yeah. Um, and oh, actually, I meant to tell you a story. Um, you, I've got a new catch line. So I started with the catchphrase, stay curious. Yep. Um, to like finish my podcasts, which I, I'm assuming if people are still listening to this at this point. They're still curious. They're still curious. <laughs> and they probably know about this catchphrase, but the people that kind of listen to some of it and then go, nah, this is interesting, don't know about this catchphrase. So if you are still listening to my people, one of my catchphrases is stay curious at the end of the podcast. But I've changed it. No, I haven't changed it. I've added fuck Podbean. <laughs> and that is because... <laughs> that is because... <laughs> That is because you went. We, I went on holiday with you. You did, and you looked up my podcast on Podbean, yep. and it wasn't there. It's not there, even though I was told by my podcast platform that I use that it was available everywhere. Like there was no streaming service that wasn't playing this podcast. Um, you told me that Podbean wasn't, and I kind of did. did I worked out that it's probably because they're similar platforms and don't want mm-hmm. to have the competition sort of thing. But that is now one of my catchphrases, fuck probably, because those guys aren't 
transferring my podcast onto their site, and that's sad. Yeah, boo. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, Ari, thank you so much for coming on, Mike. It's been a pleasure. No problem at all, but it, I had a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. I mean, it's amazing how time flies. Um, I, I Like I said this to F as well, but my, my podcast is less about how many listeners I get and more just the conversation we're having right now. So I really do appreciate you coming on. It's been truly fantastic. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed that, if you're still listening. If anyone, yeah, if anyone is still out guys. there. <laughs> if if anyone, you are still here, why? Go, and, why? go yeah. find out if your just human brain a... makes your notes and yes, get, some, get some flat, flat shoes. And no have, shoes. Have, have a think about <laughs> cannibalism and stuff. Yeah, would you um, eat a dog? <laughs> yeah, would you? Who knows? Um, in a survival situation, think about it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you are still listening, have a great day. Thank you so much. I adore your support. You're the best. Um, but otherwise, stay curious and don't forget, fuck Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs>